Al Jazeera podcast. The ceasefire in Gaza has been extended. The deal, brokered by Qatar, has given a break for Palestinians under siege and bombardment. It's also brought joy as prisoners and captives are released. But could this ceasefire be extended further? And what will it take to make it happen? I'm Laura Kyle, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. Let's bring in our guests now. And in Doha, we have Mehran Kamrava, Professor of Government at Georgetown University here in Qatar. In Tel Aviv, Gideon Levy, a columnist at Haaretz newspaper and author of the book The Punishment of Gaza. And in New York, Omar Rahman, a fellow at the Middle East Council on Global Affairs, where he focuses on Middle East geopolitics and US foreign policy in the region. A very warm welcome to all of you. Mehran, this ceasefire, it's been extended by two days. The directors of Mossad and CIA are, are here in Qatar working to try to extend it further. Are you optimistic that it can continue? Well, the, uh, I am optimistic, but the situation is extremely fluid and complicated mm. and very unpredictable. Uh, lots of moving pieces. Uh, and, uh, of course, there is pressure on both Netanyahu and the Israeli uh, army, as well as on Hamas, to extend the ceasefire as long as possible. Will it hold? I think it's very difficult to tell. Okay, Gideon Levy, we've had uh, from Israel, we've seen that the war cabinet saying that it will return to a war as soon as the ceasefire has finished. That's indicative that it's still very much on a war fitting. Can you expand for us what pressure exists within Israel on Netanyahu and his government to extend the ceasefire as it stands? The main concern in Israel is right now, obviously, releasing the hostages almost at any price. But there will come the moment, and maybe we are, we are very close to this moment, in which Israel will have to choose between continuing crashing Hamas or releasing the hostages. Until now, they are trying to play on both and it is working because the claim is that the only leverage they have now on Hamas is threatening them with continuing the war. But, you know, two days and another two days of truce, but there are only two days and two days. And what comes next? And the problem is that nobody has a clue what is the end game and nobody has a clue how far can you, can you stretch those threats without getting in into the south part of Gaza. Mm. Once Israel will do this, it might really risk the rest of the hostages, which are still in big numbers. We'll look at the south part of Gaza in just a moment, uh, later in the discussion. Omar, first of all, uh, we know that Hamas needs to release 10 of the captives that it has every single day for the ceasefire to keep continuing. How long can it do that for? I mean, that's a very good question. Um, and based on the statements that have uh, come out of Hamas, as well as the Qatari government, um, it's said that, you know, again, these are women and children that are being released uh, first as part of this 
framework. Uh, so it's about retrieving women and children. And it, it suggests, based on the statements, that a lot of those women and children are in the hands of other groups, not just mm. Hamas, and that Hamas mm. has to find them. Uh, and I hate to talk about hostages in these terms, but it's, you know, in a sense, a, a finite uh, resource, a finite commodity to trade with, to barter with uh, for prisoners. And so, you know, Hamas has to find them, the ones it has. Uh, you know, it, it can, if it's 10 a day, then based on how many people are, you know, it's simple mathematics in terms of how long the truce can extend. And I imagine that the dynamics uh, of negotiations will change when it comes to the release of uh, adult males, especially uh, soldiers that are being held uh, in Gaza by Hamas. Uh, they may uh, take a different price. I don't think necessarily that they will release them uh, for, you know, 30, 30 prisoners uh, for a day of truce. Mm. Gideon, do you agree with that? Do you think that there will, be, will come a, a change in dynamics once all the women and children are out of Gaza and there's only adult males and soldiers remaining at that point? Do you think Netanyahu will feel the pressure come off him? I think the division line will be there is another stage which will be the elderly men and the sick persons, but and, and finally the core will be the soldiers. And there are dozens mm. of soldiers. And when it gets to soldiers, the whole rules of the game will be totally different. I think in Israel, they understand it very well. Then it will be really the dilemma, all for all, or God forbid, risking their lives. Um, uh, Mehran, Qatar has said that the negotiations going on here are difficult, that they're delicate. Obviously, they're not giving anything away, but what areas are you aware of or do you believe to be particularly fragile in these negotiations? Well, um, you know, Qatar is not a part of the Abraham Accord, and although it has long had open lines of communication with Israel, uh, I think uh, the, the, right there is, an, uh, is a potential complicating factor. The other complicating factor is the actual logistics, the uh, location of the hostages, the situation uh, on the ground in Gaza, there's death and destruction all around. There's been rain. Uh, just the logistics of getting aid, um, making sure that the hostages are released, coordinating with the different countries from which the different hostages come, uh, making sure that Palestinian prisoners uh, that are being released uh, are, are actually being released and are not uh, taken back again. So there's lots of um, uh, details. And as we know, the devil is in the details. These Working out all these uh, logistical details is, uh, is extremely difficult. Omar, given all those logistical challenges, on top of the ideological challenges in the first place, are you surprised that we've actually got this far into a fifth day of a ceasefire? Uh, no, I'm not completely surprised. Obviously, uh, pressure has built on both sides. The you know carnage that's been waged against the Gaza Strip has put a lot of pressure uh, on Hamas to to. Um, I mean, although Hamas was trying to uh, negotiate the release mm. of many of these hostages, especially the children and the women, early on, uh, and Israel was unwilling to listen to that because it wanted to not did not want to have a ceasefire and wanted to wage uh, this war. But on the opposite side, again, pressure built internally uh, on the Israeli government from 
from you know the families of hostages from the society at large uh, to have the return of, of hostages back into Israel. And so you have those type of dynamics. So that, I think, added pressure on both sides uh, to come to terms here. And now, at this point, I think there's a little bit of momentum uh, behind the temporary ceasefire, the pause itself. Uh, and of course, we, you know, we can't forget the American side of things, the Qatari side and the Egyptian side. But for the Americans in particular, um, and maybe you'll, you'll get to this question, but uh, you know, there are interests for the United States government mm. uh, to push for the ceasefire, not only in the release of its own uh, citizens, but uh, in terms of you know, mitigating some of the outrage that's building on the streets mm. globally, internally, and the dissension within the State Department, et cetera. Absolutely. We will get on to some international uh, reaction and pressure uh, in a moment. First of all, Omar, what, what might trip up the momentum that we've been seeing so far? Well, I think Bahran uh, alluded to, you know, just the, the complexity of the issue itself. Uh, logistically speaking, uh, clearly, obviously, the parties don't trust each other at all. Uh, so there, you know, we saw in the first day or the second day of the release, you know, a delay that happened because Hamas felt that uh, Israel was not abiding by the terms of the agreement. Obviously, logistically, uh, these things are very difficult. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier that not all the hostages are being held by Hamas. Mm. Israel has been bombarding mm. the Gaza Strip this whole time. We don't know how many of those hostages have been killed through this process. Uh, there's a total siege on the Gaza Strip in terms of food and water. You know, are those other people that don't have the uh, infrastructure to hold uh, these hostages, like Hamas has, because we've seen the, the hostages that are released are in good condition, seem, you know, have been fed and even, even bathed to some extent. So, you know, we don't know what the conditions of the other hostages that are being held, where they are, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, you know, anything could trip this up. Mm. And also, and one more thing. Okay, go ahead. I was going to move on to Gideon, because the, this ceasefire, it's allowed both sides to take a bit of a breather, to look up. The Israeli public was very much on side of the war, by and large. Now that we're seeing, as Omar says, hostages being returned, they're in relatively good health. Hamas is abiding by terms of the agreement. What is the Israelis' public opinion towards the war? We've got Mark Regev, the senior advisor uh, to the government, saying that the public is 100% united in saying we refuse to live any longer next to this terrorist enclave. Is that the case? I'm very, I'm very, very afraid that uh, Mr. Regev is on this time right. Uh, but it all depends, first of all, on the hostages. Israel is now totally preoccupied with the hostages. Day and night, Israelis see the hostages who come back, moon those who didn't come back. It's all very, very emotional. And there is no space for anything else right now. Israel's public opinion, Israel's media is dealing only with the hostages. Don't forget, we are dealing with babies, with women, with old people, with sick people, and with soldiers. Now, when it will come to the point in which the decision will be, will have to be made either to continue the war or to stop it, my guess is that this government will have to continue because if they stop now, they achieved very little. Mm. If they release the hostages, that's one goal. But they are far from crushing Hamas. The question is if it's possible at all. The question is where will the Israeli public opinion stand there? Because it has a price also in Israeli terms, not only in terms of Gaza. My hope is that the dynamics will create a new reality 
But unfortunately, I'm not sure this is going to happen, and we might see another part of this war, this terrible war with more horrible scenes as we saw until now. Mehran, what do you think will happen when the hostages stop coming back? I'm afraid Gideon is uh, Spartan uh, for his own domestic uh, political reasons. Netanyahu cannot afford to stop the war. And um, this is, uh, the, uh, you know, an almost a foregone conclusion that he has to politically, for his own political survival, uh, have some tangible accomplishment after all of this death and destruction, not much having been accomplished in terms of his stated goal. So uh, I'm not too optimistic uh, looking down the line. Omar, we've got uh, US Secretary of State Anthony Blinken back in the region on Friday. Let's look at what the pressure is from the US at this current point in time. What message is he going to be bringing for the Israeli government? Well, I think he's going to, you know, again, be pushing uh, just a change of tone, if nothing else. Um, first of all, for the release of uh, the rest of the hostages. I think that is kind of critical uh, from the U.S. standpoint. Uh, but again, that has a kind of a time limit on it. And then Israel, like your other guests said, and I agree with, uh, will likely try to continue this war uh, for a number of reasons. Um, but, you know, this is having an impact on the U.S., right? Uh, I think, you know, in spite of the unconditional support the United States has offered uh, the Israeli government in this campaign, this military campaign against the Gaza Strip, uh, there, you know, it's there is outrage on the streets in the United States uh, globally. There's a, an impact on the United States standing globally. There's dissension within the ranks of the State Department. Uh, some, you know, Democratic senators and congressmen are starting to peel off. And so it's getting very difficult for the U.S. Uh, to, you know, continue on with this kind of no red line unconditional support for Israel without at least uh, offering some lip service um, in terms of civilian casualties, you know, some performative gestures uh, in terms of, you know, allowing aid in. And again, uh, obviously aid is very important. 200 trucks is very important. But it's a drop in the bucket in terms of what's needed, even in the best of times. And we're in the absolute worst of times in the Gaza Strip. So, uh, you know, the the outrage that's building in terms of the catastrophe that's happening in Gaza Strip and the fact that Israel has no stated aims here besides the elimination of Hamas, which many point to as, as likely an impossible goal. Mm. I mean, what is the, is the end game? What's the day after? So uh, none of those things have been answered. And Mehran, Israel has always said that it, it had a limited window to carry out this war. Is that window closing? It's interesting that even today we had the German foreign minister calling for Israel to take de-escalatory measures amid this ceasefire. We haven't really heard that language coming from Germany yet. We've got Spain, Bulgaria also falling on the side of the Palestinians, although broadly the EU is still staunchly behind Israel. But is there more of a shift and is Israel losing the wider support that it had? Absolutely. The, long, uh, the longer this war continues, uh, the more the reputational cost uh, for Israel. Uh, the attack of October 7th was horrendous. But since then, uh, we see 
uh, a daily barrage of death and destruction of Palestinians. And so the reputational cost for Israel is, is beginning to put, uh, beginning to turn global public opinion uh, uh, towards the Palestinian cause. Finally, as you mentioned, even uh, a country like Germany that uh, has been noticeably silent is now uh, calling for restraint uh, by Israel. Gideon, you mentioned before that uh, Israel has said that Hamas has a command and control center in South Gaza. Do we think that that is going to be the new front line should Israel go back in and fight once again? I don't see any other front line. I mean, if you stick to the original goal, namely crushing Hamas or crushing the capabilities of Hamas, you have to go to the south. Now, the south is now overpopulated with more than one million uh, refugees who left the, the north. How can you uh, launch a war there? This is beyond my, my uh, understanding, especially if there will be now more limits by the world, who will not be ready to see much more of the bloodbath that we saw in the first part of the war. So on one hand, you understand that Israel cannot climb down of the tree, a very tall tree, mainly the Israeli government, as long as there are no real achievements except of releasing the hostages. On the other hand, continuing this war means uh, continuing atrocities and, and catastrophes. I think much will depend on the United States and on the pressure that the United States will be ready to put on Israel, but not pressure in words, because pressure in words will be hollow. Mm. If the United States will really feel that it must stop this war by taking actions, then the war will stop. Omar, if Israel doesn't go after Hamas in the south, what does the exit plan look like? Well, I'm of the belief, along with many other analysts, that uh, you know there is no real exit plan here. That the the goal here is much larger, much more destructive uh, to the you know people of Gaza and Gaza as, a, as an entity itself. That I mean, if we look at what we're talking about here, um, you know, what is Israel's uh, ultimate objective. Um, you know, Netanyahu said yesterday to his Likud party, it was reported in Israel, that I'm the only one that can prevent a Palestinian state after the war. What that means is there is no intention whatsoever to deal with the underlying political uh, uh, conditions, the underlying political problem here. And what does that leave? That leaves a military issue. Now, for the past 16 years, while Hamas has ruled the Gaza Strip, Israel has implemented a, a policy of containment here, uh, and that has failed, right? It bombarded Gaza numerous times to kind of crush and cow uh, the Palestinian resistance there, and that failed. So now the equation from Israel, I mean, the calculus seems to be, well, let's just, you know, foist the people of Gaza on uh, neighboring countries, on Egypt and the rest, uh, and clear out the Gaza Strip through making it uninhabitable to the people, destroy all the civilian infrastructure, destroy the homes, kill as many people as possible, uh, and, you know, just uh, and cut off food and water and all life-sustaining uh, basic necessities. And so that looks like the goal from my perspective. And if Israel keeps its military in there, uh, it, I think it's willing to play the long game, not provide mm. services, 
keep Gaza destroyed, and hopefully the population, uh, you know, whittles away. It, 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 it leaves, and there's pressure built on Egypt and others to kind of take in those people. I think that is the kind of prevailing strategy from Israel at the moment. Mohan, I can see you nodding there, but the, but the pressure on Israel will have to, uh, sorry, on Egypt will have to be huge, won't it? Because right from the start, it has said it does not want a stream of Palestinians setting up uh, within its borders. Absolutely. It is a sad day when I'm thinking what I'm about to say. I sincerely hope we're not seeing history repeat itself. Mm. I hope we're not seeing 1947, 48, 1967, 1973. I hope we're not seeing another wave of Palestinian refugees streaming out of uh, Gaza, uh, out of the West Bank, out of historic Palestine. And I sincerely hope that the goal here is not necessarily to depopulate Palestine even further of Palestinians. But I'm afraid if we listen carefully to the statements of Israeli policymakers, that many of them have that intention. Gideon, I can see you nodding there as well. You agree with that? And counter to that, what, what could be a lasting solution? I agree to this out of great fear and anxiety that this is going to happen. Uh, yes, uh, many politicians mentioned it already by name. Minister of Agriculture, former head of the Shabak, called it the second Nakba of the Palestinians or the second Nakba of Gaza. I won't ignore those voices, but I still have some hope mainly on the international community, that the, this community will be able to stop it, because otherwise we are going to horrible, horrible phenomena. I mean, don't forget that people of Gaza, 60% of them are sons and grandsons and grand-grandsons of refugees who still live in refugee camps. Are we going to kick them away then another time? I really hope this is not going to happen, but I cannot exclude it, by all means not. If it depends on this government, they don't have any other plan. But we should suggest another plan. We should talk about an international intervention in Gaza. We should talk about maybe exiling the leadership of Hamas without killing them. We should think about anything which will avoid continuing this war. Omar, I'm conscious that we haven't actually brought Hamas into this discussion yet. We've got a couple of minutes left. Is there any room for manoeuvre there? Is there anything that Hamas can do or that the international community can do to pressure Hamas's survival within or next to Israel? I mean, that's a good question. I, I'm not sure what Hamas can do. Um, I mean, there's been calls for Hamas to, you know, raise the white flag, uh, step out of its, um, you know, its hiding places and its infrastructure and give up. Maybe that'll happen. I, I, I doubt it. Uh, you know, Hamas is a resistance organization. Um, you know, there are, that is something that happened to the PLO uh, in the 1980s uh, when Israel invaded Lebanon, and there was a, kind of an agreement made finally uh, after you know wanton destruction on Beirut and the PLO, uh, you know, infrastructure uh, and the this, uh, the refugee camp infrastructure for the PLO, you know, fighters and political. Uh, cadres to to leave Lebanon. So maybe there's a possibility that Hamas uh, follows a similar fate. Uh, but I don't know, I know, based on its entrenchment, whether it's willing to take that path and what the implications of that uh, would be.
Okay, a lot of questions there at the end of this discussion, but for the moment we'll have to leave it there. Many thanks to you all for joining us here today, Mehran Kamrava, Gideon Levy and Omar Rahman. This episode was produced by Dermot Fleming, Ulmi Kulsum Sharif, Veronica Projosa and Jimmy Getterhun. Studio sound was by Mark McDonald. The programme was edited by Manish Mathai, Zaina Bada and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening and tune in on Wednesday for our next edition. Coming up on The Take, Israel and Hamas's truce has been extended by two more days. What comes next? That's The Take by Al Jazeera. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.